The word of our Lord from Paul's epistle to the Philippians. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from this first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, in so much as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with all the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. But the latter do so out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your holy word. Lord, minister to us through it, we pray, by your Holy Spirit, in the name of Christ, amen. The scriptures promise blessing to the people of God, and they invite us to search diligently to find the blessed life. The scriptures are very plain about the fact that God intends good for his children, that he intends good for those that he's made in his image, for those for whom Christ died. The scriptures talk an awful lot about God's blessing, not just in the life to come, but also in this very life. Abraham was promised it, and he lived perpetually in that hope. You remember Yahweh told Abram when he called him, I will bless you, and I will make you a blessing to all people. He promised him land, he promised him a son and a family. And he promised him a name that would, be, that would bring blessing to all the nations of the earth. The psalmists in the Old Testament talk about blessing. They sing about it. They pray about it constantly, it seems. They even begin, blessed is the man. Jesus begins his most famous sermon on being blessed. That sermon went viral, in case you haven't heard. Paul demands blessing. He obsesses over it, even insists upon it himself. This idea of living a joyfully blessed life. And we hear it here in his final verse, even when he's talking about how 
others are trying to bring harm to him, he says, I will rejoice in Christ. He insists, I will rejoice. I will find joy in him. I am blessed by him. There seems to be a a natural human longing for true and lasting joy. It's something that we all seek. On the subject of joy and how to find it, I want you to know I don't see myself as having arrived there, whatever arriving there means. But I know that I want to get there. Whether you see it or not, I get far too frustrated, far too discouraged, far too ungrateful, far too distracted, and sometimes just far too mad to consider myself as having this joy thing figured out all the time. My hope is that we will join one another on this journey toward blessedness and joy together. Satan tends to work on us in a couple of ways. He tries to get between us and what the Lord wants for us. The Lord wants joy for us. He even made us for it. So what does Satan do? He offers us the opposite. And if that won't work, which it sometimes does and sometimes doesn't, if that doesn't work, he does what Coke did in April of 1985. He conjures up a cheap knockoff of the real thing. Some of you remember that. Catherine, I imagine you dealt with it for for quite a while. Satan always does that. God offers us something. Satan tries for the opposite. And if that won't work, he tries a counterfeit. God invites us to joy. So what does Satan offer as the world's alternatives? Well, the opposite that he offers... We see all around us rage and hate, anger, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness. We see those opposites of the joy-filled life all around us. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, he, he begins talking about this great town. And you're not really sure exactly what all he's talking about, but he's talking about people that are living further and further scattered out. And he begins talking about old Napoleon, that Napoleon, Napoleon Bonaparte, off by himself, always murmuring resentfully in anger and unforgiveness and bitterness. Satan will offer us that, but not everybody's into that. Obviously, a lot of people are into that. A lot of people are making a lot of money off of rage and and anger and frustration. We see it every morning when we pull up our phones and start sliding on the screen. But the cheap knockoff that Satan offers for those who won't fall for that trap is this flimsy, fleeting happiness. Happiness that can never stay in our grips. It falls through our fingers like grains of sand. We have it for a moment, but the moment is very, very brief. Perhaps until we wake up in the morning. Happiness is something that the Christian classic writers talked an awful lot about. In fact, you find this discussion of happiness a lot in Wesley's writings. 
Wesley and Calvin and some of the, some even far before that, talk an awful lot about happiness, but the happiness that they talked about was something very different than the happiness we see around us today. It was a happiness that was tied to virtue and character. To live the happy life was to live the self-controlled life, to live a life of discipline, of sacrificial love for others, a life of hard work. That was the blessed and happy life. That's the type of happiness that the psalmist does talk about at the very beginning of the book of Psalms, that great hymn book from the Old Testament. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, and so on and so forth. He's like a tree planted by the rivers. He bears fruit. His leaf won't wither. But the ungodly are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. That's the happiness that we see all around us today. This cheap, fleeting, flimsy, paltry happiness. It's a happiness that's tied to stuff. And it's a happiness that's tied to consumption of stuff. That where we are all just consumers looking for the next high, looking for the next big thing, looking for the next cool, bright, shiny toy. And that toy doesn't have to be something that's really all expensive. It could be the toy of seeing how many likes you have or how many shares you've got or whether or not you've actually become a celebrity. That happiness is far too fleeting. It's far too flimsy. And Paul calls us to let Christ instead loose in us. To let Christ loose among us as His people. To let Christ loose through us into His world. He calls us to thorough transformation. The complete transformation of our hearts and lives, our motives and our behaviors. He also calls us to a holy detachment from earthly things. Earthly thoughts, earthly powers, earthly attitudes, even earthly possessions. It's not that all these things are, are always and in every way inherently sinful, though some of them surely can be sinful. But is, it's that in the very least, these earthly ways of thinking and living can easily corrupt us. So he calls us to have the mind of Christ. To think like Jesus thinks. To approach these earthly ways of thinking and influencing and perceiving, even owning very soberly, very humbly, and very cautiously. Back to C.S. Lewis. He spoke of joy as something that awaits us fully in heaven in the life to come. Though in the meantime, we pursue it here on earth. We want joy. We want blessedness. And when we do find it here, because we do find it at moments, when we find it here and there, it's like coming across signposts along a journey. These signposts of joy remind us that we are on a journey, that we're not yet there, that the desire has not yet been fully met. We're on the journey to complete joy and perfect joy. And those signposts are intended 
to point us in the right direction, encouraging us to take the narrow way, the way not traveled by the masses. I have a note of caution and a note of encouragement for you this morning as we think about this idea of joy and think about finding joy in an unhappy world. Caution and encouragement. Don't be fake. But fake it if you must. Let me repeat that. Don't be fake. But fake it if you must. You know, there are two types of pretending in life. There's the type of pretending that we call deceit. Pretending that you're going to be there to help your brother move out. Right, Jeremy? Where's Jeremy? Pretending that you're going to be there to help your brother move out and to move some stuff around. There's that pretending. And then there's the pretending that you might think of as a type of repentance. It's a change of mind. C.S. Lewis gives an example of this in his uh, book, Mere Christianity. The chapter's titled, Let's Pretend. Let's pretend that you wake up, you're having a bad morning. The car won't start, you're running late. Once the car's finally started, you're trying to get to work. You didn't get your cup of coffee at the house, and so you got it with you. It spills on you. You're going to be in those clothes the rest of the day. You got a very important meeting that afternoon, and it's just been a bad day. It started off rotten. You get to work and you realize you're in a foul mood. You're not happy. You don't want to see anyone. You don't want to talk to anyone. You certainly don't want to waste time talking around the the water cooler with everybody else about things that don't matter when you've got coffee on your tie and you've got a meeting at three in the afternoon. And so you're just in a rotten mood. And suddenly it occurs to you, this is not becoming of Christ. This is not the type of attitude, number one, that I ought to have, but number two, that I even really want to have. I want to be happier. I want to be in a better mood. I want to treat people like they're worth my time. I want to perceive the person in front of me as having that great weight of glory that they have as being someone made in the image of Christ. I want to be happy, but I'm not happy. So what do you do? You pretend to be happy. You put a smile on your face. Maybe you lose the tie and say, you know what? I've got my sport coat. You can't really see the coffee on the shirt. I'll be all right. You change your mind. You repent. That's what repentance means. To change your mind about something. To change your mind about sin. To change your mind about sinful thoughts or sinful attitudes or sinful behaviors. Whatever it is. And so again I say, don't be fake. We all hate the fake joy that we see. We, we, we hate that, that cheap joy that's just a cheap smile. That's always laughing even in the midst of terrible situation. Don't be fake. But fake it if you must. If you realize I am not a joyful person, decide, perhaps even this morning, I want to be a joyful person, so I am going to pretend to be a joyful person. Not so that I can deceive people and and, and lead people to think that life is all put together and perfect for me, but I truly want to live a blessed life. The real question of the hour And for the next two weeks is, 
Really quite simple. How do we find joy? By simple, I mean it's direct. For finding joy isn't really all that easy to do. Sometimes we'll find that it takes hard work to find joy. It'll take painful sacrifice sometimes to find joy. But this shouldn't really be a surprise to us and it shouldn't scare us off from the task of finding joy. Some of life's greatest gifts and richest pleasures are difficult to find and tough to keep. Of course, we won't be covering everything that the Bible says about finding joy in life, but what I do hope that we'll do together is, that, is to cover three substantive, perhaps even unconventional things that the Bible connects to living a joyful life, to being a blessed person. First, The Bible tells us that to find joy, we find it in community. The scriptures lead us into community to find joy. Community. This shouldn't surprise us, for we were created for it. That's part of God's image in us, is that we were made for relationships with other people. Of course, Satan offers us the world's alternatives. It offers us isolation cloaked as individualism. There's nothing wrong with the individual. I think you know me well enough. Most of you, all of you perhaps, know me well enough to know that I love the individual. I love our, our intricacies and complexities and our weirdness. I call you weird far too often for a pastor to do. But you still bear with me and you keep coming back for more beatings each week. I love the individual. God made us individually. God made us specially. But the problem with individualism is that individuals in and of themselves are incomplete. We were made for more. We were made for relationships. We were created for community. Made in the image of God. We don't make ourselves. We don't define ourselves. We don't complete ourselves. We were made for others. For webs of relationships. Satan tries to offer offer us dignity and self-definability and self-realism by being us and not being like anyone else. By, By disconnecting us from real, substantive, life changing, life transforming relationships for which God made us. The world today offers us a cheap alternative to real relationships. It offers us false community, fake community. Especially the false and fake community experienced endlessly and mindlessly through social media. We consume it far too much. So we live in these virtual communities and we increasingly become more and more isolated and more and more at arm's length from the real people, real faces that are all around us. It's crazy. We're more connected than ever before, making us less related than ever before. And it happens each and every year that more and more people say that they have less and less real friendships. 
You know, as um, you, you probably have heard over the last few years, they, they keep talking about the, the state of, you know, the condition of debt that we have all around us and how so, uh, so few people and families now could come up with $500 cash in 24 hours if they needed it. But alongside that, the, the studies are showing over and over again that there are far fewer people who could draw on someone in a time of need because we are so disconnected from one another. We don't have deep and abiding friendships like our parents and their parents had. We're more connected than ever before, making us less related than ever before. Study after study is showing that the more screen time a person experiences, the more times we look at at this little guy, the less time he'll spend outdoors with his friends, the less friends he'll actually have, the more depressed he will be, and the more likely he'll be to harm himself. And the smaller the screen, probably the worse the problem. Because it's easier to be lost in relationships to, to these fake ones on this little screen. It's easier to do that than it is to be lost watching the TV even or going to a movie. Typically, those are things that we at least, to some extent, do in communal settings. Husbands and wives might watch Netflix together. Best friends might go to the, the new movie together, but people don't normally look over each other's shoulder as they sift through Facebook and tweet and try to become viral, try to post something that goes viral or whatever. We don't like people looking over our shoulders, so they're not going to look at the screen that we're looking at. The scriptures promise us blessing. They promise us joy if we will but find it. And think about the language that Paul uses here when he talks to the Philippians about the joy that he finds in real community with them. Now keep in mind, Paul is in prison, so he's away from the Philippians. And not only that, he's not the pastor of the Philippian church. This is a church to which he had ministered. This is a church that has been partners with him in ministry throughout his life of ministry but this is a church that he considers his brothers his brethren my brothers and my sisters he talks to them he talks about how how much he he loves them with the love of jesus he talks about how often he prays for them constantly praying for you thanking my god every time i think of you every time i remember you i thank god for you in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy. He delights in the Philippians. He considers them his family, his blood, bound together by the blood of Jesus. And he doesn't just think of them as someone, as people who make him happy. He also thinks of them as people in whom God is still at work. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Christ. We are partners together. We are in this together. We are living in community 
together as the people of God. I want to offer you three ways to give yourself to and live life in Christian community this morning. Three ways, practical ways, hopefully. Ways that we sometimes take for granted and ways that we sometimes forget about. But three ways to live life in Christian community. The first is quite simple. Fellowship within the body. What we have here on Sunday mornings, this gathering together is something that the the Hebrews writer warned us not to forsake, to not avoid. To gather together, to worship together, to stir up love together, to work together, to remind one another of the grace of Jesus, to pray for one another, to sing together and lift up one another's spirits together. Even in the Apostles' Creed, we proclaim, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, meaning the universal church, that we're connected to people all throughout space and all throughout time. The communion of saints. Don't forsake what we have here on Sunday mornings. This is only the beginning of what it means to be the church, but this is the beginning. To be the church is not just to be people who do good in the world. The NFL does good in the world. The NFL builds far more houses than we'll ever build as a church. But this is the beginning. This is the beginning of what it is to live as the people of God and the body of Christ. People who, from all walks of life, from all different backgrounds, come together to worship Him together so that we might be discharged together, sent out together to be light. So that we might plan together and think together what creative ways can we minister to those who are hurting around us. What are some creative ways that we can be light in the midst of darkness, that we can live out that call to be the salt of the earth? But it all begins in the fellowship that we have with the body. And I know some of us find it easier to gather on Sunday mornings. You might say, well, Pastor, you're an extrovert. This is easy for you. You like being around other people. You, you get excited if guests show up, people that you've never met show up. And I get anxious about that sort of thing. I get weirded out around people I'm not, I've never met. Even people I have met, sometimes they annoy me. They aggravate me. They got weird quirks. They, they, they're, they're loud and obnoxious. It can be difficult to set aside time on a Sunday morning when there are other things to do. When there are cars in every driveway as you're driving out of your neighborhood. Knowing that, man, they're doing the easy thing. They're sleeping in, taking it easy. They'll probably be at the lake a little bit later. I'll be getting out of church, trying to find something to eat. Starving to death. My stomach's starting to growl up here as I think about it. I know there are difficulties with gathering together with with fellowship in the body. It's it's complicated to try to figure out, you know, child care issues. And while you set up, I hold the baby. And then while you're done setting up, you hold the baby. And let me do that. Like, I know all that stuff can get complicated and weird and messy. 
But that's life in the body. And if we're to take the scriptures as true and what they say and what they affirm and what they promise to us, there is joy and blessedness to be found in connection to the body as we fellowship together, as we consider one another our brothers and our sisters, our family. There's another way to live life in Christian community to just dive right into Christian community to give yourself to it that's what I'm calling spiritual friendship some of you have that others of you don't have it and are desperately needing it whether you realize it or not what I mean by spiritual friendship is this get yourself a close Christian friend someone with whom you can be open and honest someone that you can call when you're having a bad day, someone that you can call when you're ticked off at your spouse, someone that you can call when you're thinking about quitting your job and you're wondering, is this crazy talk? What's going on? Get yourself someone that you can actually talk with in a pinch or just about life on a regular basis. Perhaps even start a band, which is weird language for some of us. You remember Wesley... He had the society meetings, the class meetings, which are like small groups, and then he had band meetings. Like three to five guys or three to five gals who, who got together to ask each other very specific pointed questions about how life is going with the heart and with the living. What's going on inside you? What's going on in your heart and your mind? And how's your life? How's your walk been? We need spiritual friendship. We cannot live the Christian life alone. And we ought not try to. God doesn't intend us to. This life is not just me and Jesus. That is is a, a sanctified version of that isolation that the world promises us, that individualism, that Christian individualism where it's just me and Jesus and nobody else matters. No one else can speak into my life. Nobody can ask me any questions. I don't have to answer to anybody. Only God can judge me. We need spiritual friendship. And I promise, I know that's hard to do. It's hard to set aside time on a regular basis because we're already thinking, man, the pastor's asked me to be at church every Sunday morning. He's asking me to, to show up at Devereaux and you know do things, minister, show up early to help with music and setting up coffee and all that. And then I've got to get together with a friend on a regular basis. This is busy. But we need spiritual friendship. We need Christian community. And diving into spiritual friendship is one way that we can get the Christian community that we need. And I promise you, you will be more joyful. You will be more blessed as a result. Because if you aren't, your spiritual friend can look you in the eyes and say, Hey man, you don't have joy in you. I haven't been seeing it for the last couple of weeks. Problem is, we don't want to submit to that type of relationship. But we need it. inviting you to give yourself to and live in Christian community, I want to encourage you also, this might be a little low for you, well, maybe you see this well, 
Give yourself in partnership in ministry. Paul talks about the participation that the Philippians have, have had and currently have in his life in ministry. He promises them later that they will be blessed by God because of their financial support and because of the consistency of their support for Him. It takes sacrifice for a church like this or any church. It doesn't matter how big it is. It doesn't matter how small it is. It takes sacrifice on the part of its leaders and its people for the work of ministry to continue to go on. And the scriptures call us to support the work of the local church. To support it financially, to support it consistently, and to join in that work on a tangible and regular basis. Ministry is not just something that me and David do and that you know we can rope Christie into doing to help out with Devereaux. It's not just something that we delegate out where we ask Terry, hey, will you contact McIntyre's? And that was even her idea and she, she brought it to us. But that's not something that just a select group of people do. The work of ministry is something that we all take part in, that we all are invited to participate in. There are no sideline Christians. You know what a sideline Christian is? It's a Christian that's looking to get to the gate as soon as the service is over. As soon as the game's over, we're out of here. It's not a part really of the team. But Paul speaks to the Philippians as though they are a part of his team, even though he doesn't even see them on a regular basis. Even though he probably hasn't seen them in months, maybe years at this point. He's living in a different town, a different city, a different part of the Roman Empire. He's living in chains. And they're gathering together on a weekly basis to pray and to sing together, to read the scriptures together, to encourage one another, to pray for their brother Paul. And he says, you are a partner with me in ministry. We're in this together. You are participating with me. And as a result, you will find joy because God's blessing will be upon you. As we come to a close this morning, I want to encourage you as we sing our last hymn back home or our last song back home, I want to encourage you to think and to pray. Lord, I want to live a blessed life. I want to enjoy the blessing that you promised me. I want to have joy, real joy, joy that is rooted in heaven. And Lord, whether it's easy or difficult for me, I want to be a part of Christian community. I want to be more a part of this church. I want more Christian relationships. I want deep and abiding friendships. Lord, help me to find joy in them.
Let's pray.